welcome to Sample Cupboard, the place tucked away from the hustle and bustle where we come to have a chat about whatever's on your mind. I'm Kay. And I'm Johnny. And we're here to sample all of life's ups and downs in all their glory. Grab a drink, get comfy and close the door behind you. Welcome to the sample cupboard. Yeah, after a little bit of a break, we are back and we are back with an absolutely amazing guest. We're so excited. Another guest episode. Literally, we've been smashing it with the guests and they just keep getting better and better and better. (laughs) So today we are joined by Patrick McDowell. He is a sustainable fashion designer with his own label, having worked with the likes of Catherine Hamlet and Gemma Collins, to name but a few, as well as being the sustainability director for the Italian brand Pinko and one of the global ambassadors for graduate fashion week and we are so so excited to have him with us today i'm a big fan i'm really looking forward to chatting with you patrick welcome to the sample cupboard thanks so much for having me i'm so excited to be here with you both oh we're so excited to have you honestly um i hope that intro was fitting i mean it's hard to put into words can you just give us an intro to yourself and to what you do day to day yeah, so I'm Patrick McDowell, the founder of my namesake label, Patrick McDowell. And we work a bit differently to a normal fashion brand because we work with other fashion brands to redesign their pasties and pieces of clothing, fabrics and trims into new high value items for their customers. But we also work with um, education quite a lot. I'm very keen to um, always champion creative education, which is through my role as a global ambassador at the Graduate Fashion Foundation and also as sustainability ambassador for the newly founded JCA Academy in London. And I also like to have another pillar of the business, which is championing and supporting the queer community. So where possible, we always try to include that as well. So yeah, lots of different things going on, but it's it's more exciting for me that way. And I think it's a more modern way to run a fashion brand as well. Many strings to your bow. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I know that you're a Liverpool girl at heart, right? <laughs> what was it like growing up there? And has it influenced anything like what that you do today? Has it influenced your designing? Has it influenced who you are as a person? Yeah, for sure. I mean, to start with, you know, I have very working class roots. I think that's a really important conversation to have in fashion that's often ignored, mm. even still. And of course, it impacts how you approach things. And it's also quite a big part of sustainability. You know, a lot of working class life is more sustainable because it's less wasteful, because you can't waste things out of necessity. And that's how I started designing. You know, my the first thing I made was a school bag from a pair of jeans because my parents wouldn't buy me a new one uh, because the one I had was fine. And um, that then started this whole thing of me making new things out of old things and sourcing old damaged fabric and end of roll fabric from a shop in Liverpool that used to sell that stuff because it was cheaper, not because it was sustainable, but, you know, people like the fact that although they were all buying the same bag, they were all getting ones that looked different yeah. because I was using these ends of like ends of fabric. It was, uh, it's been really interesting, but the sustainability stuff was kind of came as a necessity to begin with. And then it turned into this whole thing that people now call sustainability. And I was like, hang on a minute. That's what I've been doing for ages. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> doing it all along. You like pioneering it. Yeah. But just in terms of Liverpool from a style point of view, you know, like the, the women, especially that dress up and, and, they really kind of peacock and that was really inspirational for me growing up seeing mm. how clothing can change people 
how they can put on certain things and become more confident or more glamorous or change from maybe the person they are in work to this kind of like goddess and I was always amazed by that in Liverpool that the the effort people go to it's you know amazing makeup and hair and clothes and highest heels and the shortest dresses and the most glittery bags and for me that's so exciting because people give it their all and they go go for it you know and that's the best way to dress in my opinion yeah I think it's great and like you can definitely see that in your work I think because not only are you doing stuff that's like so grounded in sustainability Mm -hmm. but you're making it so fabulous and so entertaining you know but as well as being really really high fashion and it's just amazing to see yeah yeah it's incredible to see you doing that and I don't really think anyone else is doing it like that or looking at it in your perspective Mm. I feel like the way that you've just described it all maybe because it almost not fell into it but you just that's how you were you wanted to make this bag and it's kind of evolved into being not your USP but such a real integral part of what you do yeah, for sure. It's always more authentic when something comes from necessity uh, rather than kind of like a, a, a good marketing story, although it is also a good marketing story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also, you know, my approach to sustainability is holistic. It's that it's about uplifting the queer community. It's about treating people properly. It's about working with education. It's about, uh, you know, like, going into a school that asks me to go in to do it because there isn't it's not for the fee it's for the fact that it's just like the right thing to do Mm -hmm. and uh you know obviously you have to find a balance also to be sustainable as a person if that's also about earning enough money to to live it's really nice to be able to like redefine that role of, of a fashion designer going forward because things are changing now and it's uh, super exciting to be like at the right end of that change, I think. Mm, definitely. So obviously you spoke about the story of making your own school bag kind of being, was that your first point of being a fashion designer? When did you know that you wanted to get into fashion? How did that sort of progress? I actually always said I wanted to be a fashion designer since I was like a very small kid amazing but no but then oh twist (laughs) that twist somebody told me that being a lawyer would earn you loads of money so then I think at the age of eight or something I was like I'm gonna be a lawyer (laughs) and I changed it eight-year-old you was going for the coin well I've always been going for it because I you know I used to uh bake for a bit and then I used to make wow and then from like seven years old till uh 10 I used to make and sell cards like cards that people gave to oh my god is there anything you can't do this is insane (laughs) always an entrepreneur multi-talented yeah yeah. but that's also part of it you know like the entrepreneurial thing is really important Mm. if you want to start a business because that's I'm equally as interested in that side of things uh, as as I am in designing, and that's why you know it's it work it's well seeming to work for me because um, if you were just purely 
into like being the designer and all of that, that's great, but you shouldn't start a brand because that's not, it's not yeah. gonna work. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you need the business mindset as well. You do, yeah. But then I started to make the bags and sell the bags. And then I thought, oh wait, I can actually make money from this. So I don't need to be a lawyer anymore. And then I went back to fashion designer. So there was a brief blip into into law, but it didn't last that. Yeah. <laughs> much more fun, much more fun. Yeah. And yeah. um, you interned under Christopher Bailey at Burberry. How was that? What was that like? Did that sort of teach you more about the sort of starting a brand side of things and, and you know, how to employ business with fashion? Because I know he really kind of reformed Burberry at the time. Yeah, it was a really fascinating time to be there because I started in 2016 and I left at 2017 so I was there kind of like 12 months which is longer than a normal internship so it was really interesting seeing the company transition because when I joined they just showed the Virginia Woolf collection that he did and then the company kind of like transitioned into this new era of Burberry where it had I mean it had gone to like uh, genderless seasons it had done this like see now see now buy now thing and uh you know, all of these things which are becoming slightly more normal now were really ahead of the game mm. then. And uh, it was just fascinating being in a business that was kind of, I mean, it was turbulent, I think, for the for, for the main yeah. employees. But as a young student, I was, uh, it was kind of super interesting. Christopher also was really an interesting character for me because Barbary had quite consistently pioneered like digital pushes in fashion. Mm. Um, Angela Andretz, who who then moved to Google was the CEO for a while and did some really interesting things. And then of course, Christopher took on the creative director and CEO role. And again, going back to like my business interests, I found that fascinating. So it was really interesting that this guy who had this kind of like crazy role at one of the world's biggest fashion brands would also just chat to you in the lift about what you did at the weekend, even though you were the, the intern that had been there for three weeks. And I thought that was really kind of amazing. And that's something that I will always try to keep with me if I ever get into a position like that, because it was so incredible, like seeing somebody in that position that was also so grounded. Um, and of course, it was him in the end after I saw how much waste there was in, in big fashion mm, businesses yeah. when I asked him for fabric for my graduate collection. He was the one that said yes when everyone else at the company said that's we don't do that we don't give fabric to students he said yes to me and that's now gone on to becoming part of an official british fashion council uh, initiative where burberry partners with universities to give their waste fabric to students so it's super amazing that that kind of transition has happened yeah that's incredible there's such a shift change because i think Mm. in fashion you know we saw the the scandals well it's not really scandal it's kind of the way that the business works but mm. the burning of all the Burberry stock and more recently with yeah. Coach as well you know there's there yeah. still is that whole problem so when you've got big brands like Burberry who were donating their fabric which you know a few years ago they'd have yeah. they'd have incinerated all of that for you know for the sake of keeping their integrity and I know yeah. it still happens but once the ball starts to roll it becomes, you know, it kind of paves the way for other brands to say, okay, well, they're doing it. There's obviously a way that we can do this as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And of course, it's great for them because it looks amazing, doesn't it, as a brand to be donating things to. Yeah, oh, yeah. And then LBMH has started this new platform now where they're actually selling the fabric and all of that, which is, you know, it's great because that's 
you know, people forget that the circular economy is financially lucrative for a business. If if your business is linear and has things that come in at the beginning and leave at the end, mm. if you can scoop all that end back up and put it back in at the beginning, you've like captured a load of revenue that you would have lost. Um, and in an industry which is based on producing, yeah. basically the elephant in the room in fashion is that we guess what people want and produce it and then sell it instead of just making what people actually want to buy. So consequently, we will always have waste because we're not as- actually asking people what they want first, mm. right? So if we switch to that kind of model, we we could avoid lots of these issues, but uh, that mm. would take mm-hmm. something like a global pandemic to make everyone stop and rethink. But I don't think we had one of them recently. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm trying to rack my brain, like it couldn't it couldn't happen. <laughs> I guess you spoke a little bit about um, the influence of your Liverpudlian heart coming into your work and your sustainability practices, but um, where does your inspiration come from for your brand? Uh, so it's always like really personal stories. I realised when I was at Burberry actually that all of my other friends from St. Martin's that were interning at all these other fashion brands were all kind of, we were all finding the same images because you know, it's, it's really normal to be asked for like 1000 research images within like a three hour period. So you're, you're, we always, I always joke about like the drag and drop, like if you're on a Mac, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. because you literally would be like this, like on the keypad, like, well, the, no one can see me doing it, but I'm like waving my hand in front of the camera. Yeah. And it, that would be like, that would be it. You know, we'd be like crazy, like doing this, like having these files with hundreds of images because everything's so quick. Mm. And I was just like, this is crazy. Like everyone's just going to end up designing the same kind of stuff if we're all looking at the same images from the same websites with the same algorithms, because obviously like certain websites use algorithms to show you things that look like the other thing. And then at that point I was like, well, this is just stupid. So I'm just going to do all of my research from images that are mine and my family's. So all the collections have always been based on like family stories or or, or family pictures, which is really nice actually, because you get to learn so much about your family and it changes your mm. relationship with people. I always call it like queering, but that, I don't think that's actually a word in the English dictionary, but it should be. It's like looking at things that are traditionally masculine or heteronormative and then thinking how can we make those a safe space for the queer community and that especially was kind of my last collection that was Catholic fairy tales growing up in a very like Catholic area and school and going to church and being an altar boy and being in the choir at church like all of those things and as a gay person that's uh not great <laughs> mm. uh, so so it was really it was really important for me to do that collection based on that. You know, people forget the emotional power of clothing, how how amazing it can be. And, and it speaks, you know, like um, I was actually terrified when I put that first collection out, which initially came out as a digital only collection. It was it was not just a digital presentation, but the clothes were made inside a computer. It was like fully digitized, almost like a video game show. Yeah, I remember it was amazing. It's now used by lots of people as like a a benchmark of like how to do a good digital show because it's actually like good clothes. So many digital things are really sad looking and it needs to like push 
beyond a t-shirt mm. anyway and then but before I put that out I was terrified that people would kind of like come for me and, it's, and you have to remember this is like before the do you want people from like the religious community or yeah anything you just don't know right and this is before like Lil, Lil Nas it was also before like BLM and I think just like the narrative now around like people telling their stories has changed yeah yeah but it was in the end it was great and people kept talking to me and being like I feel, I feel like this too or my brother felt like this or my sister and we're so happy that you did this I feel like this is something I can relate to blah 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 and it just kept coming and then the end became you know I was like sobbing into my phone reading all these messages <laughs> but it's so nice oh, it is amazing though the reach that you can have and I think we've all seen that through the pandemic you know how far things can go just yeah. on the internet and like having that authenticity and obviously like you were saying people have had to rethink about how they do everything now because mm-hmm. it all has to be digital mm-hmm. and it still has to have that same impact mm-hmm. and you know mm-hmm. I, that collection definitely did I remember seeing it and just thinking like this is like never not seen anything like this before but you know like since then there's other brands that have tried it mm. and done it their way but it, i guess it it, did, it didn't translate or it's just it's just very different it's not the patrick mcdowell way it's though. not the patrick mcdowell <laughs> way absolutely not i mean i think like if you have no limitations of the physical world why you implement them onto yourself in the digital mm, world you know mm-hmm. like you may as well like those clothes were never intended to be made physically although I then did do a physical version of that show as well I was going to say yeah did you plan to do an actual runway or was that all did you design and create that whole show but based on the fact it was going to be digital no initially the idea was that I so I usually have the collection idea even before the the previous collection came out obviously nobody knows about it but it's usually in my head and then originally it was meant to be a real show like a real catwalk and and then obviously that like tank yeah <laughs> So then it became like a fully digital, a fully digital show. It was like kind of stressful because I kind of didn't know what was going on. Uh, digital shows are really expensive to do as well. Like people don't mention mm. that ever. Like people think because it's digital, it's free, but it's actually like mo- it's more expensive than doing a physical one. Yeah. Did you have to like get like franchise out and ask people to di- to design it and like contract people for it? Yeah, because I'm like a big. I'm a big believer in like using the people that are the best at doing something. Yeah. Like for example, if you order like a custom dress from me, I'm not going to, um, it's not me selling it. Like I'm going to work with a really great seamstress to make it for you. And you know, uh, like I, I know obviously how to, how to sew and how to construct yeah. and how to make things yeah. uh, well. And, and, uh, but I just really believe in working with the best people and that's no different to digital. You know, people forget that digital clothing is craft too. Like it takes a craftsperson to create a digital garment yeah. and it takes a great director to digitally animate uh, this whole world mm-hmm. in, in the computer. Um, no differently to working with a seamstress, a pattern cutter, blah, blah, in real, in real life. So, um, but super mate, like how incredible to, to be able to do that and be like pushed to do something different that I would never have done before, you know. Mm. step outside your comfort zone yeah definitely I think we all need that and I think fashion needs that as well yeah Mm. like you know more just newness complete newness I think a lot of people are feeling quite like stifled or or, Mm. you know stuck for ideas at the moment I think it's lovely how the so many people came to Mm. resonate with the emotional connection of the pieces in the collection because I think a lot of that is lost in real 
I don't want to say fast fashion because it's not comparable mm. to that, but I mean like with it, such a consumerism industry and fashion just being, a lot of people just look at it for that, but it's so nice that that emotion was able to be translated even through digital, which sometimes mm. you would almost find more difficult for that to happen when it's not in real life. Yeah, for sure. It was uh, it was fascinating. Like I didn't expect it either, but I think actually that's probably my most viewed work mm. ever. It's more accessible nice. as well. It makes it even more accessible yeah. to everybody, doesn't it? Yeah, that was the crazy thing. Like because of the amount of like digital stuff that goes on as a, as the designer, your work is all done very early. So that was also something new to get used to. Whereas I'm used to being able to. I I never do work right up until like the show starts, but uh, you can if you want. And with digital, it all has to be ready months before because they need to like work on it to digitize it and animate it and put put it on the models, blah, blah, blah. So when the show came, it was kind of like this thing that I'd been like dipping in and out of, like, you know, like agreeing and confirming things throughout, obviously. But then the show time happened and I just like sat down here, watched it on my laptop and then like closed the laptop and went for a run. Yeah. <laughs> because because at the time you were still not allowed to see anyone. You couldn't go out like unless it was that when you could go out once, mm. like once a day. Yeah. I mean, we I think we've all forgotten what that, I mean, it was horrendous. Mm. I was talking to someone at work about this today. I was like, remember when you had to see your nan through the window? Like yeah. it's ridiculous. Yeah. The unknown was so frightening at that time. Mm. I think we, did, we have like blocked it all out. So we've spoken all about what you can do and what you do day to day but what does a typical day look like in the life of Patrick McDowell I wish I knew <laughs> <laughs> like honestly at the moment it's it's every day is completely different no that's good though yeah. we love variety yeah it is so good I mean for me that works better because I like I never wanted to be like this solitary person that sits in a studio creating like more and more clothes like all the time and like, it was mm. never my aim and I, I just don't find it interesting like a fashion business that's based on growing volume of pieces. I mean, unless I know exactly who those pieces are going to and have like a relationship with each client, I'm just not interested in creating like 10,000 of one dress. Like it, it just, it, it's like, it's like a maths class to me. I'm like bored. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't want to do that. And like, consequently, I've created this thing where I do like all these different things every day. And it's amazing. Like, I'm super grateful uh, to be able to do it. I, mean, I don't mean to gloat, but like what I've realized is also important is that really important for anybody who's listening to this, who was me as like the working class queer kid who wasn't so sure about where they were going, but knew they were doing something differently to the people around them, to those people listening, like you can do it, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you too can create a life for yourself, which is outside of these like quite constricting norms that unfortunately like put on to working class people because of the society we live in and you can get out of that well that, I mean it's hard but you can yeah mm. yeah you're living proof of that yeah absolutely like was there a point where you kind of realized that you needed to get out of your hometown was it always something you wanted to do or did you sort of think mm. I'm not going to be able to progress if I stay here because I know me being the same, that queer kid from a small working class town in the Midlands, I always had that kind of urge to to leave and to, to like flee the nest, mm. if you like. So I wonder like whether you felt the same or when that was. Yeah, I mean, I just have this memory of always being incredibly bored. 
just like so bored of 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 being there even from a really young age like I would always say to my mom oh my god I'm so bored <laughs> her reply was always like you you'll wish you could be bored someday but actually I I never wish that I was gonna say yeah. I bet you never say you're bored now with yeah. all of the things that you're involved in no I don't I'm never bored like and if I if I want to take it like if I need like last week I wasn't very well for a few days I'm luckily in a position where I can just have be like okay I'm not well I'm listening to my body and I'm going to take a day off but I, I'm aware that that's like quite a privileged position to yeah. be in but I've done all of the you know, like there was one point at St Martin's when I had like three part-time jobs and doing women's work at St Martin's which is like was quite intense yeah yeah what was the St Martin's thing like as well like how was it being there because did you go straight from your hometown to St. Martin's? Or did was there a bit of time in the middle where you kind of acclimatised to London? No, it was a bit of a funny story. I On paper, the secondary school I went to is like considered one of the most deprived in the UK. But luckily I had an amazing head of art there who then was my art tutor for sixth form called Ali McGuart, who uh, created like a really safe space for me to try everything. And she was the first person like that I showed that denim bag to. And her reply was amazing. I'm going to stay behind after school and you can come back and we'll make oh, something else. So all all throughout all of this, she was there pushing me to do something else. And then she was like, why don't we now try a dress? Why don't we try this? Why don't wow. we try that? And kept always nudging me up, you know, um, mm. which is incredible in it. So in, in many ways, I was given almost like a private school education in this like super like Catholic yeah. comprehensive you know, I, I owe her a lot because I wouldn't be sitting here without that because, you know, I ended up getting into St. Martin's straight from my A-levels without a foundation course, which is not, it's not common. That's, that's insane. Yeah, that's just like never, never heard of. Yeah, but especially not someone that's working class from a comprehensive in the north of England. Like that really doesn't happen mm. there. Yeah. It's also a good lesson in what not to tell people because if you go in saying you've not got something, sometimes that's the reason why you don't get something. So I never said I didn't have one, but I didn't say I had one either. I just didn't mention it. Nice, nice. Mm. <laughs> that would be a good tip for our student listeners. I, I forgot a part of that story, actually. I, I had also applied for the foundation and I got declined from the foundation the night before I went to the interview oh. for Women's Wear oh. degree. Oh my God. And I was a mess. Like I thought my life was over. I was like nothing because I since I was 13, I Googled best fashion school in, yeah. the, in the world and it told me it was St. Martin's. Mm. So I yeah. was like, I'm going to go to St. Martin's. And then I did every single thing possible from the age of 13 to get there. And it worked because I was like such a precocious, like driven child because I was like I have to leave this place yeah, <laughs> yeah. and um and then it worked but of course what I hadn't considered is like how to actually survive and live in a place like London for six years I thought get St Martin's get St Martin's but I never actually thought what I would do when I actually got there and I found it quite hard yeah you know it was very 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 poor and found it very difficult like emotionally and I had like quite bad anxiety and depression and there was a point in like the April of the first year where I was like I, I can't do this anymore I need to leave and then I didn't leave but I did fail the first year I had to do like a retrieval thing in the summer and mm. luckily passed that so then I could stay 
And then in the second year, I really started to like understand what it was they they wanted from me and then did quite well. But it was really, it was really hard, you know. And actually, I don't know if me now would still do. (laughs) I think me now would be like, fine, you can keep it. (laughs) I always say you couldn't pay me to go back to uni. Mm. Like, and I didn't go to London. Like, I, I just can't imagine like how tough it must have been. You know, I think fashion is notorious for being that sort of industry that it like almost breaks you down Mm. to like build you back up again yeah I mean in terms of like education that's the reason why now I'm a big champion of of foundation courses because we unfortunately have this like pretty crap education system in in most of the world which was designed for the industrial revolution and it just Mm. it it, like simply doesn't work anymore like it doesn't it doesn't uh, provide any kind of benefit to people living in the, in this world we are in yeah. now, which I think is why a lot of people are quite confused about their position in society. We need these like transitional courses to allow people to then go into somewhere like St. Martin's, which has a completely different educational style, which is quite similar to actual, actually like how the, how children are taught in kindergarten which is more like experience-based learning. And that's what I wrote my graduate thesis on, which is another reason now I'm so keen to support creative education because I saw what it could do for me. And I've seen my mom is a teacher of kindergarten since like 30 years. So I've seen what it can do. And uh, and I'm like super passionate about promoting it because it can it can change the world. It can provide yeah. people that have the the brains to to solve the issues that we face today if we if we educate people properly. But at the moment, we're not doing that, and it's a massive disservice, especially to mm. children. It's so impressive all the work that you're doing with education. I feel like people who create courses and stuff often are looking at it retrospectively. Really, a long time ago, they mm. went and weren't a part of it. You're making these changes and noticing the gaps that the education system are almost failing in well that's the thing you know I'm really also keen to say that like uh, creativity isn't exclusively linked to art and design and often art and design education actually isn't that creative but what we really need is like creatively educated everything so we need to like creatively educate maths English science art fashion everything Mm. should be taught like that often we disengage with things because of how they're Mm. taught not because of the subject itself because of course physics can be one of the most interesting things in the world and I always say actually if I'd been taught physics differently I probably would have become a scientist but it was just because of the way Ali taught me art and design she gave me the tools and allowed me to find things out for myself like that resonated with me so much I was like this is a thing for me so it's really amazing and that's you know one of the incredible things that teachers have the ability to like change yeah. their lives yeah, it's amazing there's not one linear way of teaching things yeah big up the art teachers i have a lot of them as well <laughs> me like, too honestly. that's one of the reasons i went to uni one of our, one the of art them. office was like my safe space at my <laughs> my yeah. secondary school there was always like a bit of chocolate in the fridge <laughs> yeah. there was always a cup of tea there you know mm-hmm. and it's just yeah like you say it can really change yeah. change things it's it's so great that you're doing that for students now it's like a really nice full circle moment yeah and we've spoken about you know what you're doing with your brand and and what you know what you're doing outside of the brand but what are some of your goals and and aspirations for your brand and for your career in general where do you sort of see yourself in five slash ten years time 
No pressure. <laughs> big questions, big questions. I mean, the, the ultimate like lifetime goal is to open a kind of like new age school mm. that would be like very like holistic and like, you know, be very kind of like well-rounded that wouldn't be focused on subjects or age. Wow. I was going to say, will you take mature students? Because <laughs> I want to come. <laughs> yeah. I mean, interestingly, um, Elon Musk was similarly dissatisfied with the education system. So he actually made it his own school for his kids oh wow I didn't know I, that. No, I didn't no. know that it's very like exclusive and there's very few people that go to it but from my understanding it's it's kind of a similar thing like it's it's ran very kind of like it's just about creating and there's, a, there's this great thing I read where it's like we need uh we don't need a grade students anymore we need x students and the idea is that those people just think for themselves instead of just learning how to pass an exam because we don't need people like that anymore mm. we've we don't need like box tickers. We need people that mm. can actually think. And that's the scary thing now is that so many people just have no idea how to actually think for themselves. Mm. It's terrifying. No, <laughs> so true. It is, it's frightening. Um, so, you know, I think it's a great exercise with everything. I used to do this when I was a teenager. I used to look at things and think, what do I actually think about this thing? Like everything, like what do I actually think about this iPhone design like do, do I like it because I'm told to like it or do I actually like mm. it myself like in my brain you know it's it's sometimes really interesting to like do these mini yeah. tasks but anyway I'm going off topic my plan <laughs> I would like to start a more direct consumer business based around like limited quantities of uh, semi couture garments that would be kind of made for clients mm. nice i love that i would also like to continue the reimagine projects that i do with different brands so that would almost be like a modern diffusion line just like in the past we had like um mark by mark jacobs or bb by victoria beckham for example instead of doing it in-house i would work with different brands like i do with pinko to mm. turn their past season pieces into new product for the for their brand and I, I see that as kind of like a modern way to do a diffusion line and of course the education stuff will always be there and it's just like finding nice ways to kind of like mix it all together and think like maybe if I'm working with this brand can we do a project at a university together you know we've done amazing events in places where we just sew crystals onto people's old clothes and and the way that makes people think is amazing like they really really changes like how people how people relate to garments once they understand that like one stitch takes them 10 minutes or something it's really like it's amazing just watching how a simple act of using a needle and thread can change somebody's association with the clothes that they are wearing at the mm. time That's yeah incredible. yeah but also just connects people back to the idea of like actually <laughs> the things that you wear have been made yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think it's really people forget that a lot yeah. of the time especially people who don't maybe understand the art of creating mm. garments yeah, yeah. and what goes into it they just yeah. see it as a consumable yeah well I even remember yeah. sort of like when I first started out going into fashion mm. realizing that everything had been done pretty much every button every stitch every like shank all the fabric's been woven by hand it's been dyed by people yeah. you know I think in my head as sort of like a, as a kid you think it's it all just works like you know the Monsters Inc where all the doors you know yeah. it's all just like automated yeah I just thought it was all like that and it you know I still kind of am wowed today by the amount of hands that go into our garments yeah I think the uh 
I think knitwear is kind of like one of the only things that can really like create the whole garment inside the machine and then just pop out a finished thing. But that's even that's quite an expensive process because it's like obviously like a completely fully fashioned knitting thing. Yeah, I mean, people forget a lot of a lot of the fashion industry is based on like human hands. Yeah. And it's uh, it's as yet something that machines haven't been able to master. Yeah. So it's always worth bearing in mind. Mm-hmm. Watch this space for a Patrick <laughs> McDowell robot, Sarah. <laughs> I feel like that's going to be your next thing. Oh my God. Yeah. Maybe it'll look like me, like a clone. <laughs> yeah. Imagine. So you were nominated by Anna Wintour at Vogue for the Stella McCartney Today for Tomorrow Award in November 2019. How did it feel to be recognised by the industry in that way? Uh, I mean, obviously, it's, it was an incredible, like, honour and surprise. <laughs> really? Were you surprised? Yeah, because nobody told me. So I didn't know it was happening. Hilariously, it had been quite a busy time. And I'd gone from being, like, basically a graduate getting quite a lot of recognition very quickly and obviously not again similarly like when I went to St Martin's not really knowing how to deal with it or knowing that I was starting a fashion brand because I didn't really intend to start a brand I just thought I had to have a job <laughs> and like a salary right so I was like I'm not starting a fashion brand but all this stuff was happening and I was like Ooh. yeah mm. mad that you can actually like do it for yourself you can be that that person you can be yeah. the brand honestly I mean like if you wrote it all down on paper it should never have really happened but here we are so this was like before covid so like all this stuff had happened it was kind of like i did my first show in a, a sustainable fashion week in helsinki and then i was showing it as part of an exhibition at london fashion week and then i did another thing with like, the british ambassador in venice and then i did this event in london at the royal Albert hall and then i did another fashion show in budapest and then i went I came back home and I was like, I'm exhausted. And I went back to where I'm from and I saw some of my friends. It's like me and the girls, like the group of friends from high school. And I'm like sitting around one of the dinner tables, like about to eat. And my phone like lit up and somebody just sent me a story like OMG. And I was like, someone just sending me some like rubbish. And then, but then it kept dinging and I was like something weird's happening and I I put the fork down and opened my phone and it was Anna Winter's face saying my name what <laughs> oh the my hell? god I can't believe that was how you I'd first found out. out about it yeah literally I'd be gone off that chair <laughs> under the table I can't believe that it was crazy but you know of course the most grounding thing is that Anna Winter to my friends from high school doesn't they don't know who she is. Yeah. <laughs> like, guys, no, getting it up on Google. Look who she is. In some ways, perhaps it was the best place to be when something like that happened because it was, um, they were just super happy for me and hum- humbling. And, you know, it's uh, it's also interesting watching how people change, how they speak to you and things like that happen. Mm. Yeah. And just remembering all of that, you know, like trying to keep a level head. But obviously it was amazing. And I was like very grateful to Sarah Mauer, who had originally introduced me to Anna. And yeah, just like one of those really nice things that happens sometimes. And, and it's so, you know, that's what one of the reasons why I've done well since the beginning is because I made a graduate collection with waste material from Burberry and Swarovski. And of course, those big names, when you're someone very new, has a great mix because they you're the fresh new thing and those names are the, they give you the validation that you don't have otherwise, you know, and that's exactly what Anna did. It, it validated me mm. as someone people didn't know. And mm. you're less of a risk then, right? Yeah. Because you're 
you've been given the seal of approval. She yeah, said it. seal of approval. Yeah, I know. That's like the biggest of them all. Mm. I mean, sometimes when I look back at things that happened when I first graduated, I'm just like, was that even real? Mm. You know, like I was, yeah. had a piece on the co- the September cover of Elle UK. Wow. When I, like two months after I graduated. And I, of, of course, at the time I was just like, this must be normal. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm like working with bigger brands and things. And I realized, you know, that's something that takes decades and, you know, potentially might take decades for, to happen to me again. But it was just like, it's been a, a real roller coaster. Mm. Well, yeah. Well, that's what, 2019, that's literally only two years ago like I know but what a two years it's been right Mm. oh god yeah (laughs) and I think you also have to like try to you know fashion is about newness and it loves new people and new things and so there's always going to be a new batch of like new designers new like this these exciting Mm. but you have to I think it's really important and this is something I've been working on a lot is like finding sustainability for my own life and how I can like build something mm. that gives me stability and and a future that will last for my life rather than trying to be mm. this like hot fuzzy new thing because you're never going to be that forever right so also another like humbling experience realizing that it's not you anymore mm. and yeah. then you need to kind of think how is this working as a business now especially you know because I'm doing things slightly differently I'm not just kind of like churning out the factions it's uh, mm-hmm. you have to know where you want to go and don't get too sidetracked because it's so dangerous to keep looking it's so easy to keep looking at what everyone else is doing yeah. and it pulls you away from what you want to do if you're not really benefiting from it then it's time to like put it out you know is there part of you that enjoys the kind of I don't know like having people know who you are like do you do you celebrate that in yourself and do you allow yourself to feel like this is fucking amazing like look at where I've got to I think because of how I grew up I was always trying to like run to the next thing and I think this is something you know that I was I have become more aware of because I would never stop to appreciate anything like even the Anna thing really I was kind of like okay well that happened great like next thing next thing next thing and it just like yeah. <laughs> whoosh on to the next yeah. thing yeah well yeah really and uh it's been a really interesting like journey personally so I'm giving myself a bit more time now mm. to just be like you did all right yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah because I think also realizing you know if I kept running at at that pace I was kind of gonna burn out you know yeah and that's a massive conversation that we're all having as well about mm. you know burning out being kind to yourself yeah and that's not sustainable no it's not on brand for you (laughs) (laughs) no it's not on brand so you know that's important I mean obviously now I've been doing this it's only three years like although it feels a lot longer but I, and I look a lot older than I did when I started. No. Oh my gosh, don't be daft. Don't be daft. I can't believe you've done all of that in like yeah. a three-year period. I'm in awe of it, to be honest, thinking it's about it. Mental, especially, you know, given the last two yeah, years. Yeah, I was going to say. The fact that you've managed to still achieve so much through all of that mm. and come out the other end and just be... Be on to the next. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Smashing it. Thank you. You know, I look back on it now and I kind of look at things and I think, oh, maybe I'd do that differently or I do that differently and I think really the best thing to do is that you have to be able to start with you so like if your lifestyle isn't very sustainable then how can you build a sustainable brand because I've also come to learn that sometimes growing up if especially if you're not in an environment where businesses are 
like for example where I grew up it wasn't normal for people to own businesses like people just worked for the people that was just the norm you know if someone said they had mm. their own business it was like oh did you hear that so and so's got their own business because it just wasn't yeah normal. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know it took me a year and a half of having a fashion brand to admit to people I had a fashion brand like people kept asking me what I did and I'd be like oh design and now I look back now if I have like student things or something and people start if I start a crit with someone and they start making excuses I'm like okay hold on if you're already telling me it's crap before you've even introduced it I'm going to think it's crap like sell it to me right like even if you even if you don't like it sell it to me like tell me what you're doing like mm. find the sentence that's yeah. yeah like i did at the beginning of this podcast summed up what i did in in a few sentences it's really important everyone should be able to do that and i also read this great thing about introducing your whole name so saying i'm patrick mcdowell not just i'm patrick because it sticks in people's heads more especially when your brand is called you but my point was that businesses are run by people so of course they're also like emotional and attached to who you are as a person mm. and it's not a separate thing and it's taken me a few years to learn that too that you know unless i have like a stable foundation to start stuff on then it's never going to be something that's kind of like growable or like scalable as a business it's been one of the greatest privileges being from the background i'm from because it's allowed me to approach fashion in a completely different way and i would never have been able to do that if i'd been brought up inside a world where people buy 3000 pound dresses each week or something you know so it's it's uh, i'm not i'm not unhappy about where i'm from at all i i think it's the it's the biggest blessing really yeah and how important is it do you think that the sort of students of today obviously you spoke about being proud of you know what you've created and selling yourself and putting yourself out there how important is it do you think that the students of today are educated in that because I don't think that fashion schools all do that and also how important do you think it is that they're educated sustainably too because also you know I don't think that there's a lot of unis that are kind of pushing for that as much as they maybe should be or pioneering it like they should be. The simple fact is that like the fashion industry doesn't really work very well right now unless you get your numbers up very high. So unless you start a brand and get your numbers up really high very quickly, the brand just doesn't really work. So of course we should be educating people to think how can we do this in a different way because that model is just not going to last, you know, like it's things are getting really serious now like mm. if you look around the world things are, are not great in lots of places that like the reality is like will you want to be wearing your new like fast fashion outfit when your house is flooded or will you want to be wearing your new uh boohoo outfit when your like work makes you redundant because they've had to close down because of the climate crisis like all these things are, are linked right they're mm. not separate things and i think it's really important that we are educating people for the future to think about how we can make something new and i think it's it's also interesting when you speak to students now they're more interested in starting like these smaller things yeah yeah there's a real shift i think yeah it, it's really interesting and again my great privilege speaking to students because it's a different mindset that they have and it's kind of contradictory somehow because i know that your younger generations at the moment are, are both the most interested in sustainability but also like one of the biggest customers of fast fashion brands so i'm like what's going on there do you think it's a price thing there i mean it's also it's it's one of the reasons why i'm very keen to never shoot down fast fashion boycott whatever because i 
you know, I know coming from where I'm from that for some people that outfit from that website is their only escape for that Mm. month or that week. And for that time that they put that on, they feel like they can just be them, right? They can be fab and they can go out they can have the drinks and go and dance and feel great. And that's a sustainability story too. I think we need to look at why we've created a society where people are in a position where that's their only escape instead Mm. of just blaming as we often do the poorest people in society, we need to actually address the fact that who was it that created a society that created conditions to make people live like that? And of course, that's not poor people. That's the people that are the richest. Yeah, again, just just being smart about how you think about things often, like just cancelling something doesn't work. So, yeah. I could literally talk to you for hours and hours and hours. This conversation has been absolutely incredible. Mm. We have two final questions for you. And they are the questions that we always ask our guests on the sample covered. Mm. And the first one is what's in your brackets, Pinko mini bag. (laughs) What items do you never leave the house without? And it had to be a Pinko mini because. Why would it not be? (laughs) Uh, okay, so I always have my Dior lip glow. Oh, yes, I've not we've, tried we've that. not had that one yet. Mm. No, no, you've not had that one. Should I go and get my bag? I'm gonna get my bag because I need to show you to show you what's in it. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, show us. <laughs> oh my gosh! A live and exclusive this. showing of the bag. <laughs> This is a first for the sample cover too. This is too. really exciting. It's a bit off brand. This bag actually isn't pink though. Imagine oh, it was the school bag. We'll you let it off. Tied, you could have made this full 360. No, it's from Prada. <laughs> it's a Prada. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll accept it. So the reason why I bought this is because it's the same logo that's on the opening scene where Miranda gets out of the cab on Devil Wears Prada and she wore, and all you see is the Prada bag with the book. So I got the bag because of that. Oh, <laughs> dreams. You've got a lot in there as well. Yeah. I have this very straight man wallet, which I don't actually like, but it was a gift. So, you know, I'm so using it. Um, okay, and then I always have a power bank in case my phone dies. Ah, oh, life changing. Yeah, that is something I need and, yeah, I, and I still don't have. <laughs> always forever. Has anyone got a charger? <laughs> I always have. Dior released these recently and they're now 96% natural. Wow. Oh my God, think? that's amazing. Yeah, so I have lip glow, which is the first coat. And then I have lip maximizer, which is the second one, which is more like a glass. Both of them are shade six, which is very autumnal. I'm like doing an advert. I actually do buy them. It's not sponsored. (laughs) Not Not hun. But if you want, we always say get in touch. Dior, (laughs) you know where we are. Get in touch. And then I always have my keys, obviously. And I have always have one of the crystal pinko face masks. Oh, Oh, stunning. Everyone on the tube is jealous. (laughs) I'm jealous. And then I think, oh, and I always usually have some business cards. You never know who you're going to run into. Yeah. You've got to stay on that grind. And a pen, which makes me feel very like an old lady, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm a a pen and paper person. Me too. I I forget that I can make notes on my phone. I think that's it. Usually that's it. That's a good, that's a good bag. Very good. Ticks all the boxes. Yeah, yeah. I try not to have too much stuff. Oh, and and the headphones usually. One of the reasons why I always use such a small bag is because I actually hate carrying stuff. Oh. It's like one of my pet peeves, carrying stuff around. I think it's because for so many years, I 
I used to be in a brass band as a kid, so I would like drag around this euphonium horn. And then no, like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and then I doing like fashion and, and carrying all the stuff. And cases I was gonna, I cases. thought you were gonna say being a fashion student, yeah. like I've never carried as much as I have in my life, carrying like <laughs> samples, card, a portfolio. Yeah, honestly, if someone had told me when I started this, how many times I would be dragging like five suitcases. I mean, it's, it's, it's insane sometimes. I'm like, why am I doing this again? I'm still ridiculous. I'm like, when will this end? When do I not have to drive? When it gets, I always say, when it gets to the point where I don't have to cut fabric out on the floor, I think I will (laughs) work on the floor. But I think at some point, I always just find myself working on the floor. So I'm like, there is no table big enough, right? There's never enough. No, no, I'm glad you said that because, like, I can relate. No, it's still happening. I'm still doing it now. I'm like, oh, we're going to have to go to the floor, guys. Come on. So yeah, that's it. I love seeing great. you in the back. That was that great. Was really yeah, nice. that was really good. Thank you so much for that. So final question. What is one item in your wardrobe that makes you feel amazing? And I would love to know what your wardrobe's like. I imagine it to be so. an absolute treasure <laughs> chest of amazing pieces. <laughs> one piece. We'll allow we can for go you for if you yeah, to. a couple of contingencies <laughs> in there. Your desert island wardrobe. Oh yeah. Oh, I've always wanted to be on Desert Islanders. That's one of my favorite, like dream things to do. Okay, so I think one of the one of the things would be my uh, Valentino Daisy boots, which are like these um, cowboy boots with with leather daisies on. And the, I got them when I was in New York. Barney's was closing down. And I was looking around the like last week of the closing down sale. And in the corner of the women's shoe department, I saw this one boot covered in dust. Yes. And I thought, wow, I love this boot. It's amazing. And I checked the price and it had already it was already on sale. So it was like crazy discounted. So I got the boot. Everyone loves the boots. Always get compliments on the boot. And then I wore them too much. Like this was pre-COVID. I would go out in them. I would go everywhere in them. And they got trashed. And then I found the Restory, which is this amazing like um, platform that restores designer. Well, they doesn't have they restore anything. Like, and now they do clothes as well. Um, but they started with accessories, and I sent them to them, and they very lovingly restored the entire oh boot to look like completely amazing. brand new. And now I wear them again, love them again, and get loads of compliments on them, and they make me feel great because I'm not so tall, so they give me a little lift and. Yes. Always need wow. the high. Yeah, I love them. <laughs> and uh, I mean, usually if I wear pieces from my own personal collections as well, that always feels really nice because they 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 are kind of like one-offs and mm. they're very pers- they're very like personal to me. So yeah, like you said, an extension of kind of who you are as well. Yeah, so it's always really nice wearing them although it's sometimes mm. a bit impractical because you have to like uh <laughs> drag all the fabric around and things but it's um, <laughs> there's there's quite a few things i mean i just i love things that like have a story you know well, there's like a like a t-shirt that was from the first pinko collaboration i did which because i've got big shoulders didn't fit so i cut it cut the sleeves off and now it's a vest and i love that and there's another jacket that I had that's a vintage suit that I was I just wasn't wearing and I mm. just one day was like crop suit jacket and I just pinned it really high and took it to the dry cleaner and I was like I need it this short and he was like this is so short and I was like yeah <laughs> and now I love it it's so short I, I'm like it's like a little bolero I think it's fab and like 
you know things like that where you've like you knew it had a life before and then it's you've changed it into something else I just think it's yeah. so special because then it's like so personal you know but like I, I never I just can't understand the, the the like concept of buying clothes wearing them and putting them in the bin like I just don't I don't I can't get it like I just can't yeah. like even if something's really old and, and like broken I just mm. can't mm-hmm. drop it in you know <laughs> I'm like I just I just can't and it's amazing when you see some of the designers now that can do, you know, like they'll take your old like moth-eaten jumper and like repair it with like completely different colored yarns and things and create like a whole new thing around yeah, it. It's, it's fantastic, yeah, yeah. like the things people are doing. It's it's really amazing. And then of course it makes it even more special. Something because... that you once loved, you can love again in a new yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, and you've seen that you you've still got that story of like mm. how it got yeah, those yeah. holes or like that time you fell over and <laughs> ripped the knee. Like, you know, you, you retain those memories that you have with the garments mm. and then it links it all back to your yeah. to your life. Yeah. And then of course all of the pinko pieces mean a lot to me because you know it's what's great about that is that it's a it's a global brand proving that we can do this at scale and it can look great and still work for their glam customer and like for me that's one of the most important things because at this stage in sustainability it's not just about the products themselves it's about the wider message that we're putting out and um i'm super happy that we're be- we're able to do that together every time i do this with a brand it just keeps proving that we you can do it at a bigger scale and i'm really happy to be to be able to to say that that when people go oh, but you can't scale that and i can go well actually we've done it and it works so you can do it too you know and I want people to copy me. I don't have to be the one doing all of it. Everyone should copy me doing this, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you need to come and do a talk at Selfridges, Patrick. The teams would love you. My, my pieces are there with Pinko. Yeah, I know. I know we stopped, stopped Pinko. Uh, we have a massive Project Earth initiative where really, I mean, you'll, you'll know about it, but really, really trying to kind of realign on terms of their sustainability strategy and what they can do. Yeah, yeah. And they've done some amazing things there, you know, like with her, the rental platform mm. and having like Beyond yes. Retro that space. And even, you know, like when I reintroduced Pinko to them for the Reimagine collection, you know, even stocking that is a big step forward. You know, and again, proves the proof of concept that you can turn your old product into new product and it can go into somewhere like Selfridges and, and it will sell, you know. And you did the Pangaea pop-up in the corner shop and things, so. Yes, that's amazing. Yeah. I really, really love that, seeing all the science behind it, because I feel yeah. like that's often yeah. lost. You just mm. get the final product in store. They've just brought out a new denim thing that's made from nettles. Oh, wow. But what they've also done is like they've gone one step further and that also ensuring that like the nettles are sourced from like the right places and basically like the farmers that they're getting the nettles from it allows the farmers to then reinvest into the crops that are actually growing because like the nettles are like a byproduct mm. or something and you know like all of that stuff it's just like mm. so incredible wow. to just see a brand that's really like doing it properly yeah because they've got you know and, and I'm just like yes like that's what we need more. and it looks nice and it's and it's kind of like easy to wear and it's like yeah. cool and and it just kind of works and I'm like yeah like you hit the 
you're just hitting all the right boxes and that's so nice yeah. to see you know and how great to be one of those brands yes honestly it's been such a pleasure yeah. chatting to you i honestly could talk to you all night um but we're gonna let you go <laughs> i think there'll be so many people that can relate yeah. in so many different ways to your story you know whether it's you know the working class roots or if it's the struggling with uni just uni on its own or struggling in the industry you know like changing tact not being sure of what to do mm. there's there'll be so many people that can relate to that story thank you so much for sharing oh thank you well it's been a pleasure chatting to you i've really really enjoyed it it's so nice to hear such a refreshing outlook on sustainability and mm. not just it being a marketing ploy and it's about every aspect of your life every aspect of consumerism every aspect of just the whole the, the whole holistic view that you've got is is amazing thank you so much patrick for talking to us thank today you. and please come back to the sample cupboard anytime you like well i'm an avid listener so i'm great i'm re really grateful to be a part of it so well done to you two for for making it because it's always nice to hear you know people's points of view on things that's why podcasts are great right yeah, yeah absolutely so yeah that means a lot thank you thank you lovely Thank you so much to Alex at Rondon Music for all of the tracks on the show. We will put his details down in the show notes below.